Welcome to Prayer Storm Podcast. We trust that it will be a blessing to you and that it will stir you and equip you to be all God calls you to be. It's uh, so good to be here with you guys in, uh, in Manchester. How many of you know that God is on the move? Three of you, brilliant. Hopefully there'll be a few more by the end. How many of you know that God is on the move? I think there's a growing sense around the nation that God is releasing his spirit in a fresh way and that we're at the beginnings of something new, but yet there is so much more still to come. Amen. We're not living for a day uh, that's going to happen, you know, tomorrow or the next day. We're living in the now of what God is doing. If we never live in the now of what God wants to do in your life and my life, we'll never live in what he wants to do tomorrow. If we always live in tomorrow, then tomorrow will become tomorrow when we get to tomorrow. And we're always living for something beyond where we are today. So God always works in the now. He always works in you and I in the now so that he can release in the now what he wants to do so that when we come into tomorrow, because we live in the now of tomorrow when we get there, we'll see the release of what he wants to do the next day, then the next day, then the next day. You can't live in the tomorrow with God. You can only live in the now. Are you with me? Anyway, that's not the message, but there you go. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just as I read something, I want you to hear a massive, loud emergency bell ringing. Emergency, emergency, all hands on deck. People's lives are going down. The sea of darkness has overtaken them. People are drowning in their own sin, but many don't realize it. The power of death is overcoming them. They need rescuing. They need saving. Who will go? Who will respond? Just keep your eyes closed for a moment and hear the sound of that bell. A little while ago, I was just spending time with the Lord and and I just said to him, Father, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything you want to reveal of who you are in this moment that I was in with him? And I suppose I was expecting him to show me something about himself that I would be like in awe of him or amazed, or just speechless, or whatever, you know, I I was expecting him to do or say something that would be like, God, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're wonderful, you're holy. And as I asked the question, as I said that to him, immediately he said what I've just read out to you, emergency, emergency, all hands on deck. And as he was telling me that, I heard this bell ringing so loudly. 
And I wrote some things down and at the end I was, there was this numbness as I was sitting there. And I said to the Lord, That's, I wasn't expecting that. And God said to me, he said, you wanted me to reveal something of myself to you. This is it. I'm revealing my heart for those that don't know me. I'm revealing my heart for the desperate situation that the world is in, your neighbours are in, the people around you are in. There's an emergency. Their lives are going down in this sea of darkness, this sea of lostness. And I believe God wants to speak to us tonight in the context of what has already been happening, the passion, the hunger, the desire that there is in the room. It's so good to come into a room, to a place, to have a meeting where people are hungry, where there's a hunger, there's a passion, there's a desire, there's a longing to know God, to want Him, to not just want His arm and His hand, but those that want His face, those that want to know Him. I believe God wants to speak to us tonight, but also stir something afresh in our hearts and lives. You can open your eyes if you like. Another analogy in relation to that, we'll get into the word in a moment, but just, I just, while we're worshiping, just believe God was saying, start with this and then get into the word and unpack that. And we as a church in our own setting, Kingdom Faith, we're based just south of London, down in a town called Horsham, in terms of the main kind of church. And part of our just DNA as a church is we, we just, we go after God all the time. It's part of our culture, part of our just how we are. Not because we want a self-centered Christianity, but because we want God to transform our nation. But you know, if we want God to move in our nation, like James was saying earlier in the, in the context of the worship, he moves in us first. You know, God revives us and the fruit of us being revived is people getting saved, miracles, it's transformation and all of that. Revival isn't transformation. Revival is what takes place in you and I as we say, as we get before God and we say, God, would you revive me? Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. But there's... Something that I believe God wants to speak to us about tonight, where being revived is not about trying to get somewhere you're not. Being revived is allowing God to release in you what is already there, because there's nothing more of God to be released than He has already released in your life. When you were born again, filled with the Spirit, God gave you Himself fully. He didn't withhold anything of himself from you. He put everything in you at that moment that you would ever need for your Christian life. And then what the Holy Spirit does in us, the day you got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes you on a journey and then unpacks in your life and shows you how 
to live in everything he gave you right at the beginning. He then shows you how to live in the fullness of that as you live every day with him. So with God, we're not trying to get something from him that we don't already have on the inside of us. So when we say, God, send revival, God doesn't answer the prayer to send revival. It's, sorry, I don't want to burst your bubble tonight. But it's a non-prayer to say, send revival. Because what God does, he revives people. When someone says, God, the fullness of your life that you put in me the day I was born again and filled with the Spirit, I want to live in the fullness of that right now, today. And there are things in our lives that maybe stop us from living in the fullness. Could be a bit of unbelief. Could be how you see yourself. Could be lies of the enemy. Could be circumstances. Could be stuff that's going on around us. What we give ourselves to. And all of that might hinder how we walk in the fullness of who God is. But to say God sends something that we already have on the inside of us, it just needs stirring up. We'll come to that in a moment. I just want to say one other thing before we get into that, jump into that. Are you all right tonight? I know I've got a different accent to you guys. Um, you know, God is a southerner. How do I know that? Because when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him, the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So we know God speaks with a southern accent. We know that, anyway, we won't go there. You can delete that from the uh, recording tonight. Um, so some, another analogy God's given us recently as a church, the first few weeks of this year, we, we always start the year, like many churches seem to these days, with a time of prayer and fasting, and just setting time aside as a church, seeking God, encounter nights, praying through the night, various things. Why? Because we, we, we don't just want to stay where we are. We want to live more fully in who God is. We want him to, there to be a greater release in our lives of what he has already given us that we're not living in the fullness of. Yet we know when I say prayer, to say send revival is a bit of a non-prayer. We know that when you read past revivals and what God does, there's a sovereignty about what is going on. That is God at work. But God responds to the cry of his people. But the cry isn't God send something. The, God is, the, the cry is, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to live in the holiness that you have already given me. I want to live in the fullness of your life. Jesus, I want to live like you. Now, when we face ourselves with some of those questions, do I want to live holy? Do I want to live clean? Do I really want to live being led by the Holy Spirit? All of us up here will go, of course I do. Sometimes when we get before God, in an app, in, when there's not an atmosphere of excitement and energy and you, you're in your front room or in your lounge, your bedroom, wherever, and you get before God, there's a simplicity of heart and cry that says, Jesus, I don't want to give myself to this, this, this and that. I want to give myself to you. 
whatever that looks like, whatever that means. And we know in and of ourselves, we can't live the life that God has called us to without the Holy Spirit. See, what did Jesus say? I can only do the things I see my Father doing. I can only speak the words that he gives me to speak. Wow, what a surrendered life. He was the Son of God, but yet he said, I can't do anything unless I see the Father doing it or I hear him speaking it. Wow, that's submitted, that's surrendered. That's a life that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, just another picture to keep getting. Somebody keeps uh, sidetracking me. Right, let's get back to this. Another analogy God gave us was of a ship, like one of these massive galleon sailing ships. And he said to us, every one of you in the church is like a big galleon sailing ship. And the masts on this thing are like my word in your life. And the mast has to be rooted into the hull of the ship. And he said the rigging, uh, in order for the sails to be tight and to be how they need to be to catch the wind, the rigging's got to be tight so that the sails can be fully stretched out to catch the wind and the momentum and everything that that, that ship needs to move it forward. And he said the mast is like the word in your life. And I want the word to be rooted in your life, that it determines how you think, the decisions you make, your lifestyle. And, and the rigging is like the choices you make in relation to the word in your life that determines how wide open you are in your life to catch everything that I'm saying and doing as I release my spirit in a fresh way to accomplish everything I want to do, whether in your life, in your town, your region, your nation. And then he said to us, every, if, as a church, you're all, look, you're all a ship in that sense, and together you're an armada. Now, they, these ships were like these kind of, these fighting ships, these warships that would go in, you know, these armadas were going to battle. It's interesting, the word armada is the only word that is used for fighting ships. So if you say a fleet of ships, that could be any type of ship. Not just, you know, these kind of warships. But he said, you're like an armada. And he said, what does an armada do? It goes in and it defeats the enemy. It plunders what the enemy has. And then it brings back the plunder in victory. And when the English attacked the Spanish, uh, uh, or there was, there was going to be a, a, a couple of hundred years ago, there were 150 Spanish ships in their armada. And there are obviously a lot in the English ships, but Nelson, who was a bit of a wily character, he sent six fire ships into the middle of 150 Spanish ships and defeated them all. And one of the things that God, I believe, wants to do in us is that in, in 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. Stir up the gift that is within you. And I believe there's a responsibility that we have as believers to stir up the gift. Now, we know that's the Holy Spirit. But what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He said, the one who is coming, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I've baptized him in water, but he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. And God said to us about these ships, these are fire ships going into enemy territory. Because as you stir up the gift, as you stir up what I've placed in you, the fire of my spirit, then what does the fire of the, what, what does fire do? Fire consumes. 
How, does, how is God described in Deuteronomy chapter, four, chapter 4, verse 24? Our God is an all-consuming fire. In Malachi and one or two other areas in the Old Testament, God is described as a refining fire. So God is an all-consuming fire. So why does, why does uh, Paul say to Timothy, stir up that gift, stir up the Holy Spirit and fire because he knows if you don't stir up that gift, if you don't stir up the fire of the Spirit in you so that God is consumed, if you don't fire that, then you're going to be consumed by something else or someone else or the things of life or the culture of the day or the pressure of society or the philosophy's opinions and the lifestyles of others. And so as you stir up that gift, as you stir up the fire of my Spirit in you, that all-consuming fire, you find there's a consuming desire to know me and as you stir up that fire, there's a refining fire that is at work in you also. You see, when we, when we say, God, revive me, there's got to be some substance to that. Just to say, God, revive me, he says, okay, what do you, what, what do you, what do you want me to do? And, uh, and if this fire is all-consuming, one of the ways that we are revived is by stirring up this gift, stirring up the fire of the Spirit. How do you do that? You begin, you pray in the Spirit. You pray in tongues. You spend time worshipping. You spend time sowing, fueling that fire in your life. And as you fuel the fire, that all-consuming fire and desire to know Him, as that fire begins to consume you, you find there are things that begin to be burnt up in your life or drop off of your life not because you're trying to fight them, but because you're sowing and fanning into flame the gift and the fire of his life and his spirit that is within you. I believe God wants to restore praying in the power of the spirit, praying in tongues in a fresh way in the life of the church. A lot of churches, well, we don't pray in tongues on Sunday morning because it's not relevant to the lost. Well, the day of Pentecost, what happened? They were all in the 120 or so in the upper room. God had 10 days they'd been together. God had been refining them, sorting them out. There was a moment when the Holy Spirit came. Well, the Holy Spirit came with wind and fire. God came with his breath and with fire. So God breathes his life and his spirit into us, but also his spirit is fire that cleanses and purifies, consumes, cleanses and purifies. But then what happened? They spilled out onto the street in all these other languages, preached the gospel, quite a few thousand got saved. What happened? What happens when the fire is at work in our lives? What happens when we stir up the fire and the gift? God's power is released. There's a correlation between fire and power. Fire and power. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, what does Paul the Apostle say? He says, the gospel is not just a matter of talk, but of power. How many of you know that the church in the UK needs to see a great release of power? <laughs> see, there's loads of words out there. Philosophies, opinions, different faiths, ideologies, all of that. Christian faith has got lots of words. And we know the word of God is powerful. But Paul the Apostle said the gospel is not just a matter of, matter of talk, but of 
power. So he was encouraging two things there. One is you need to believe that when you preach the gospel, God's power is released because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. God still loves Jewish people and wants them to be saved. The gospel first to the Jew, then the Jew. Who did Jesus come to first? The Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, raised as a Jew, went to synagogue. After he was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, came out, the, he was sent into the desert by the Holy Spirit, came out 40 days later in the power of the Spirit. What's the first thing he did? Went to Nazareth, went to his local synagogue where he'd been raised as a boy, been there a lot. How do we know that? Because when he went in, it was his turn to read. He didn't just walk in and decide to read that day and pick the scroll up and decide where to read from. That was not etiquette in the synagogue. It just happened to be, amazing, God's timing. He goes, he went into the synagogue. It was his turn to read. Why is that? Because they handed him the scroll. Said, Jesus, it's your turn today. You're on the road. You're on the list. You're on the schedule. And, and you're up. And they, they gave him the, the thing. And he turned to the scripture reading of the day, which happened to be Isaiah 61. What does he do? He, he reads it. And we all know what it says. The, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, set the captives free and everything else. He reads that portion. He then says, this is fulfilled in your, these scriptures fulfilled in your hearing today. What was he basically saying? It was a shocking statement. In that moment, he's, he was basically saying, I'm the Messiah. He came for the Jewish people. As a Jew, he loves the Jews, still wants them to be born again, amen? As well as us as Gentiles or non-Jews. It's interesting how when Jesus, um, we love our kids, don't we, eh, James? Brilliant. Kids just say it as it is, don't they, eh? We love them. Brilliant. So cool. When Jesus was baptized, there was no wind and fire. Welcome back, mate. You're a great dad. You're brilliant. You're doing such a good job. When Jesus was baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. Why? Because he didn't need the wind and the fire to sort anything out in his life. There was nothing to sort out. But when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, what happened? Wind and fire. Why? Because they needed the breath of God and they needed the fire of God. Let's just look at a couple of other, other scriptures. Hebrews 20, 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can never be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So one of the other things connecting with stirring up the gift, stirring up the fire that is within you is reverence and awe. I think we need a bit, a bit more of that back in the church as well. Don't you love, one of the things that's happening, the whole kind of, God is, God is doing something to do with worship and prayer, isn't he? He's raising up, a church that is the house of prayer for all nations. 
He's doing something in relation to worship and prayer, prayer watches, praying through the night, 24-7 worship and prayer, all that kind of stuff that's happening in different places. In our own situation over the last six months, quite a number of people in our church where God has spoken to them about prayer watches. I want you to pray in the night. I want you to worship through them or whatever it is. Not because we've said anything, but because God is doing something. And God is raising up a 24-7 worshiping and praying church because of what needs to happen in the spirit for our nation to be changed, for, our, for the tide to turn in our nation for what God wants to do. You know, the, devil, the devil's playing 24-7, but when the sun goes down, the devil comes out to play. You know, he hates it when Christians pray in the night. You know, when we pray, we want to believe that God answers our prayer at that moment. Why do we pray in the night? Because when we don't pray, things happen that should not be happening. When we do pray, things are stopped from happening that would happen if we didn't pray. So God is waking up the church. God is waking the church up. Guys, this is 24-7 here. Just living by the day and sleeping at night isn't going to cut it any longer in terms of what God is doing and wants to do. So it's not about, oh, I've got to sacrifice some sleep now. No, it's called an obedient life, living in obedience. That's probably not a popular word in modern church, is it? Obedience. But it's a, it's a kingdom lifestyle. It's not just a kingdom word, it's a kingdom lifestyle. So this stirring up this gift that is within us. So in 2 Timothy 1.6, what, what does Paul say? For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which you received through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give you a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So when he talks about stirring up the gift, it's about stirring up the fire of God in our lives. And what happens, he said, for God did not give you the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power, of love, and of, yeah, what is that? Self-control. Three things, three key things. So when we stir up that gift, when we stir up the fire that is within us, one, there's the power of God is released. Second, the power of God is released through love. What does Galatians 5, 6 say? There's nothing more important than faith working through love. What's faith? Faith is God's power being released to work through love. And why did Paul's, that revelation he had of what happens when the Holy Spirit's are working, why did he then say self-discipline or self-control? Because he knows when you stir up the fire and when you're stoking up the fire of God in your life, there's no room for stuff that's not of God. Because what does the fire of God do? If he's the refining fire, it burns up stuff in us. Not because we're focused on it. You know, God hates sin. He hates it. That's why he went to the cross, right? But when God looks at your life, he's not looking at any sin in your life. He hates sin. He doesn't want to look at it. Some people think that God is looking at their life going, all right, let's have a little, let's just go and list. Um, you've got wrong thoughts there, wrong attitude there, wrong heart motive there. Until you sort that out, I can't do anything in your life. God's not looking at all of that. What does the Bible say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter. 
of your faith. When we fix our eyes on him, sometimes we don't believe this because it sounds too simple. <laughs> we complicate the truth. But where, where in Hebrews it said, fix your eyes on Jesus, he's the author and perfect. Well, you know when you fix your life, your gaze, your focus, your eyesight, your heart, your attention doesn't get captured by something else because you're fixing your heart, your gaze, your desire on who he is. What is stirring up that gift within you? What is it fixes your eyes on him? It's very difficult to stir up the fire within you and, and, and not focus on God. If you're stirring up that fire, it's like as you pray in the spirit, as you're worshiping him, as you're, you know, it's like, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Father, reveal more of who you are so that I'm captivated with you, so that I long to know you. So the fire of your spirit is consuming every fiber of my being. How many of you want to live as part of a church that lives like this? See, what does fire do? Fire attracts. If there's a fire somewhere, buildings on fire, People want to go and watch it burn. It's like, wow. How many of you got fires in your homes? Maybe you don't have those in Manchester. I don't know. I don't know. In our house, we got in our lounge, we've got a fire, open fireplace. And, uh, and you, you make a fire and, and you get it going and it's roaring away, loads of flames. And sometimes we just sit there and you're just gazing into the fire and you suddenly think, what am I doing? But if there's something about the fire that captivates you. One of the revivalists said um, something like this. I, think, I don't know if it was Wesley or, or one of those guys, but one of them said um, something about, I want to set myself on fire with God and then people come and watch me burn. Because he understood fire attracts people. You know, sometimes we think that if we package the church in the right way, that's going to become attractive to people. Now, we need to be... We need, to, you know, we need to have a common sense. It doesn't mean we're just a bunch of idiots. Well, let's just be stupid and be as you know, nuts as we can and who cares? Uh, I don't, Jesus was pretty radical. He wasn't stupid. He understood how people ticked. First impressions count, actually. You get people walking in your building. we like, yeah, but they shouldn't. Everybody should look at the heart. But God said himself, man looks at the outward appearance, you know, but God looks at the heart. So when you get people rocking up at your church on a Sunday, they don't think like God. They're thinking like people. So they walk into your building and go, stinks in here. Or, man, it's a mess, isn't it? Or they might not think nobody greeted me, but what they do think is, God, I wasn't very welcome. Nobody, you know, nobody even talked to me this morning. Do you know what I mean? So that kind of stuff it is important because first impressions count. But for us the believers, we're not looking at their outward appearance we're looking at what's going on in, in their heart without judging them because God never judged us. What he did, he judged sin and dealt with sin so that we wouldn't have to be judged this side of eternity. Well, there's going to be a judgment day one day, isn't there? And the great thing is when you're born again, filled with the Spirit and you're following Jesus, want to know him, judgment day is not a day to fear. For those that don't know Jesus, it's going to be a dreadful day. How many of you want to stir the fire up in you? 
What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. All. It, it means all the time be thankful. All the time give thanks. Not just when you've had a great day or when you're feeling good. But he says, all circumstances. Anyway, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then in the middle of these verses, what does Paul say? Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Where did that come from in the middle of that? And then he says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. In the middle of these verses here, he then says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. So if he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire, they must have already had the fire. So what are some of the things that put out the fire when we're not joyful, when we don't pray continually, when we're not giving thanks? So he, Paul understands here, he's like, when you stir up the gift within you, when you stir up the fire of God in you, there's you, you because your focus is on who God is, no matter what stuff is going on, you can be joyful always. He then says, what does the fire do? It enables you to pray continually. Why? Because there's a consuming of, of who God is going on on the inside of you, and it becomes harder not to pray than actually to pray. One of the things that some of our guys in our church saying during our prayer and fasting time at the beginning of the year, they were like, man, it's so easy to pray. I can't stop praying. Some of the prayer meetings we had, you couldn't stop them. Not that we had a finish time as such, but it was like, man, this has been going for a while and the place, everybody's going for it, the worship, the this, that and the other. And, and you're thinking, well, I can't stop this. It's just nobody wants to stop. Why? Because there's a consuming going on. There's a consuming going on. There's a consuming going on. And it's not about having long prayer meetings. Just because you're praying longer doesn't mean you're going to see more. Well, we better pray for an hour because if we don't, God's not going to move. God's moved by faith, not by the length of time you do something. What did Jesus say? When you pray, go into a room, shut the door and pray to your Father in heaven. And in that context, he's, he said, don't babble on like these guys because you're not heard for your many words. It's not about how many words we pray. It's about how we allow the Holy Spirit to pray in us and through us. God wants to increase and release the spirit of prayer on the church in an increasing way. How does that happen? By us praying. It doesn't come by us saying, God, release more of the spirit of prayer. We want a great release of the spirit of prayer. He says, if you pray... And as you pray, there will be a great release of the spirit of prayer. But you have to give yourself to me in order for me to release that in an increasing way in you. But what's he really doing? He's releasing what is already going on in there because you have the Holy Spirit. He is the one that prays and intercedes. What does it say in Romans 8? When we don't know what we, we know how to pray, what we ought to pray, the Spirit himself intercedes with us with what? With groans that words cannot express. There's a depth of prayer and intercession that God wants to release in the church that goes beyond praying in tongues up here or just praying loads of words because we think, and, and often in prayer, what are we doing? We're here, God's up there and the situation's there. So often in prayer, we're saying to God, God, do this, God, do that, God, do the other. And I think God's sitting on his throne sometimes thinking, great, but can you just listen to me for a moment? Let me, let me show you what I want you to pray into the situation. Because you're telling me to do a lot. 
And, and, and we're not here to order God around. God is not our slot machine. God, cha-ching, do this. All right, I'll do that then. God's not here to serve us. We're here to serve him. Needs to be a little bit of a shift in some of our modern Christianity. We've had a very bless me focused, improve me focused gospel. We're not here to be improved. We're here. What, what, what does Paul teach? Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. We don't want to pray, God, make me a better person. God, improve. It's like, no, gee, I don't want to be a better person. Jesus, I want to be like you. You killed off the old Clive, and now I'm a new creation in Christ. So I want to live a Christ-centered, Christ-filled life. All of that. So what happens in prayer? God says, "Hey, I want. This is what I want to do in the situation. This is what I want you to pray." Now that's when prayer gets exciting because we're not trying to twist God's arm by trying to put it in so many creative ways. If we put it this way, that way, surely God's going to go, Gabriel. Did you see the way they phrased that down there? That was, I've never heard anybody pray it like that. It was so creative. Just go and answer it anyway, just because that, that was phenomenal. God's not impressed. We can't impress God. And, and so God shows us what he wants us to speak or declare or to command in the situation. He tells us, and then we stand here on earth commanding. What, what does the Bible say? You can bind on earth, when, when it talks about binding on earth, what those verses actually mean is you bind on earth what has already been bound in heaven. You loose on earth what has already been loosed in heaven. So you bind it and then you loose, the word loose there doesn't mean release the Holy Spirit. The word loose there means to break off and to shatter. So when we bind, we're binding enemy activity, we're loosening off, we're breaking off his hold or whatever's going on. The next couple of verses then talk about the prayer of agreement. So binding and loosening are dealing with the enemy. Then in a place of agreement, it, it says, two on earth agree about anything. It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Wow, it says, whatever two of you, Sometimes we think if we get more people praying, more things are going to happen. But actually, what did Jesus say? Where two of you on earth agree about anything, my Father will do it. Wow. So all God's looking for is people that are in agreement together. So we bind the enemy, we break off his hold, and then in agreement we release the purposes of God. But we release what he's showing us that he wants us to pray that's when prayer becomes effective. That's when it becomes fruitful. That's when stuff starts happening. What does 1 John uh, 5, 14 and 15 say? We have confidence in approaching God when we ask anything according to his will. It says we know that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, then we know that we have what we asked of him. So what is? how do you know... You're going to, how, how is prayer effective? How do you know you're going to get your prayer answered? By praying according to his will. So we know this thing here is the Logos word. It's the, so it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in that Logos, when we pray, God wants to give us a rhema in that moment as to what to pray to unlock his purposes in that situation. 
That's when prayer gets exciting because it's like, Father, what do you want to do? How do you want us to pray? What do you want to do? And God might give you one, one verse in the Bible, one sentence, one command. That's it. But because it's come from him, faith gets released on the inside of you. And it's not about how many words you pray, how many ways you can put it. Can I, will God answer this now? When you heard God, something on the inside goes, that's it. That's it. That's it. And you're not trying to say many words. And then in a place of confidence and assurance, because you've heard something, you then begin to say, right, I just declare that right now. I speak that or I command this or whatever it is. But because it comes with faith, one, you're not trying to convince yourself. Two, you're not trying to convince God. And three, you're not trying to convince anybody else. Because there's an assurance of faith. What's all this about? It comes from stirring up the fire. Stirring up the gift that is within you. Stir up the gift that is within you. What are we talking about tonight? Normal Christianity. Sometimes we, we, we speak about, say, revival or things other things, as like this is extra normal. But we've been living at subnormal for so long that we start seeing a few people saved and it's like God's on the move. Well, revival's happening. Or a few people start to get healed. Oh man, we got a move of God going on. Let's get God TV down here. A few people are getting healed. And, and, and we're just promoting subnormal Christianity. If you want to Live the normal Christian life. Read a book by um, Watchman Nee, The Normal Christian Life. Man, it will blow your socks off if you wear socks. It will whatever. It is challenging. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's encouraging. It will fuel the fire in your life. It, 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 you know, um, a lot of Christians probably wouldn't be able to handle it. See, God's looking for a mature church. He's looking for a church who will live in the deep, not in the shallows. See, what is all this about? This is all about harvest. It's about harvest. It's about it's harvest time in this nation. Harvest time in this nation. We do not want another move of the Spirit that blesses the church. As the, what is this release of the Spirit that God is beginning now? It is all for the harvest. It's not for us. It's not for a bunch of Christians to have a great time. He's releasing his spirit for the harvest. The main question is, are we ready? Are we ready for the scale and the size of what God wants to do? Are we ready? See, these ships that God talked to us about, what he said was on these ships, there's room for people. There's room for the plunder. When they went in and plundered the enemy, they made sure they had room on their ships to plunder all the gold, all the loot and everything else that the enemy had control over it and they plundered, they made sure on their ships they had the space to bring everything back that they would want to say, we, have, we got victory. For us, it's people. And God wants us to make, we have room in our lives for people, not just our circle of friends, but room in our lives for people. We had a, one, of our, one, of our, we had a, one of our night, praying through the night things, I don't know what time of the night it was, four, something like that, half four or something, that sort of time. And um, we've been praying into certain things and, and there was a sort of open mic moment where anybody could just come and pray. And one of the guys who was in this meeting, he, he people were praying. Nobody was standing there waiting for someone to talk. It was like the, the, we had some music playing in the background and people were meeting with God. This guy just came and got the mic and, he's, and he just, he said, 
I see a massive quarry. And this thing is just so deep. And he said the, the, the roadway going down was really wide so you can get lots of these big trucks. But he said there were no trucks on this. There's no trucks on this road. He said, all I see is multitudes of people walking past me, going down and down and down into the depths of this quarry. He said, and, and, and it, it was, while he was giving this, he was, he was crying. And he said, I, I saw, I've seen some of my neighbours walk past in front of me, going down as part of this multitude. Some of my family that don't know Jesus, they've just walked past me and they're going down into this, into this obviously it represents hell, right? And, and then, he, then he, as he was talking, he said, and I see around the top of this quarry, I see the church, I see Christians. They're looking over the top and they suddenly realise what is going on and they begin to cry out to the people. They are crying out with everything they have. They are shouting, they are crying out for these people to, to, to come out of this. And at first he said, he said, one or two people are kind of here and they looked up and they saw people shouting and crying out and, and one or two turned round. And then all the people around the top realised, man, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep going. This is desperate, this is desperate. And, and they kept going and going and going and they said, gradually, more and more people turned round until more were coming out than were going in. And then he just carried on praying. He just started to pray and the, at that moment, it was like the spirit of prayer just dropped on the room. And he just began to cry out for souls, for souls, for souls, for souls like that. And the whole room, everybody that was there was just crying out for souls. It was like being people on the edge of this, this quarry looking down. What's God revealing? His heart. We don't want the fire. We don't want to stir up the fire just so that we feel better about us. We don't want to stir up the fire just so we have some great meetings. We don't want to stir up the fire just because we can say, oh, we're having a great time. What's it for? It's for the lost. It's for harvest. It's for harvest. It's for harvest. That's why God is pouring out his spirit in a fresh way. In the beginning of this decade, this is a decade of harvest. Does anybody else believe that? I don't know how long I've got, but I need to finish. It's a decade of harvest. A decade of harvest. Are we going to live our lives for the harvest? That is why we need to stir up the fire. Because if we're not living consumed, if we're not living refined, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to keep us cleansed and pure, what are people who get saved going to then be like as they come into the life of the church? Because people become like the thing they got saved into. Thank you for tuning in to Prayerstorm Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition. For more information and teaching, and if you'd like to get connected, please visit www.prayerstorm.org.